Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. Fantastic. Well, we're going to get into our second installment today, and we're going to jump back into where we were from last week. Last week, we started in Genesis 37 and kind of just set kind of a foundation for the life of Joseph. And as we talked about this 17-year-old young man and kind of his journey when he was, and I, I did some math wrong last week, and I got a lot. That was like the most feedback I got from everyone was about my terrible, terrible math. Uh, because I was saying that uh, Joseph was 17, and he uh, saw his, he came into the, the palace at 30, and it took him 23 years. And I think that's only 13 years. <laughs> anyway, so uh, Joseph got a dream when he was 17 years old. And we talked about that dream. And Joseph didn't actually see this dream fulfilled until he was 44. Does anyone want to do the math for me? <laughs> uh, anyways, I don't know, whatever. But uh, 44 years old, he saw the, the destiny fulfilled. And so he had a dream when he was 17. And when he was 44 years old, he saw this uh, incredible, I think it's 27 actually, his uh, incredible uh, journey towards, uh, towards his destiny. And between that season, from his dream to his destiny, there was a bunch of stuff that he had to go through. There was things that he had to walk through in his life. He saw the dream and wanted it very badly, saw a portion, just a snippet of what God had for him. And it was the best part of the dream, I think. And uh, he didn't see all the other nuances to what was going to happen. And so between that period, there was all these things that God had to lead him through. And last week, we talked a little bit about that. And I'll allude to that just a little bit in today's message. So if you weren't there last week, you can listen online or you can just listen to that portion of the message and, and uh, you'll be reminded of what it was last week. And so we're going to jump into our scripture here in Genesis 37. We're going to read the rest of this chapter in chunk form. As I share some points, we'll kind of walk through the, the story together. So Genesis 37, verse 12, and can I pray? Father, thank you for your word. Your word is powerful. I pray for those in the room that are stuck those in the room who feel like they're in a pit, those in the room, God, who feel like they don't know what else to do, they're, they're just stuck in life. And I pray that today they'd be encouraged to know that there are ways to get out and, Lord, that you want to take them out of this season. So we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 37, 12 to 18 says this. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he, he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. And then he sent him out off from the valley of Hebron. And when Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, well, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where, they are, where they're grazing their flocks? And they've moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dotham. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan, but, but they saw him in the distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. So Joseph is a distance away, he's far away, and uh, his brothers looked off into the distance and recognized that it was Joseph, and they begin to plot their own brother's murder. That's some real hate. <laughs> That's some real uh, animosity between siblings to look across the room and think, I want to kill, I hate him so much that I want to kill him. And they saw him from a distance, and they thought that, and if you remember from last week, we talked about how obviously Joseph had some serious 
dysfunctional family problems. I made a, a joke last week, and I was trying to think of another, another uh, talk show host that would relate to, but Dr. Phil just seems to be prevalent. I was going to say maybe Mari or J- Jerry Springer. One of those guys would work too. You know, Jerry, you've never seen that, have you? Yes. Not. I never watched that show, but... Um, <laughs> But uh, this, the, the, the dysfunction in their family was so stinking brutal. And uh, as I alluded to last week, Joseph had nine older brothers, all from three different mothers. And so Jacob had four wives, and he was the only one born to Rachel. And Rachel was the one who Jacob, uh, Jacob Joseph's father, loved immensely. He was madly in love with Rachel. The others were kind of just thrown in there to make children. But he was really in love with Rachel. And Rachel gave birth to Joseph, and Joseph was, uh, was, was Jacob's favorite, favorite child. And so not only is he the youngest child, he's the favorite child. He is born to the mother of the, of the wife that uh, his dad loves, and he also decided to give uh, Joseph this coat of many colors. And now it was like his way of saying, you're my favorite. I want everyone to know it. It's going to be as colorful as ever. And I want everywhere you go, people to know that you are my son and that you are my favorite. I mean, that creates some real tension in the family. And we learned last week that there was just incredible, incredible dysfunction. When, when uh, Jacob sent Joseph to go to, uh, to, out to Shechem, that's about a 72 kilometer walk. So Joseph walked all the way out there, got all the way out to the field where they were supposed to be uh, tending their flocks, and they had moved on. Now I wonder maybe if they moved on because they didn't want their brother to find him. They maybe knew that their dad was going to send Joseph to go check up on them. And so they thought, you know what? We know he's going to come here. Let's go somewhere else where he's not going to be. And that was another 25 kilometers away from where they were. So when Joseph got there, he had walked 100 kilometers just to find his brothers. And his brothers were trying to get away from him as much as they could because they knew that Joseph was a little bit of an annoying 17-year-old kid. We even learned this in the very beginning, verse 2. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers. And so he brought his father a bad report about them. So here's Joseph hanging out with his brothers, hanging out with the big guys, 40 years old, 30 years old, 20 years old, the, the big brothers hanging out with them. And instead of just being cool, instead of just letting things slide, you know, trying to have the lingo and what's up, bro, how's it going, just trying to fit in, he decided he was going to tell his brothers because they let the sheep go too far outside the pen or maybe, uh, maybe Reuben was making a, a crude joke or maybe this brother kind of, and this brother were fighting. And so Joseph thought it would be a good idea to maybe increase his relationship with his brothers by going to his father and telling on him. This 17-year-old boy did not understand how to have relationship with his brothers. And so there was incredible incredible animosity, and they knew that if Joseph came to be around them, he was going to tell on them and get them in trouble. So they wanted to get away from them. Why wasn't Joseph with them in the first place? Now, if you think about this for a minute, they didn't need Joseph's help to tend the flocks. But Jacob, I think, was trying to, theologians believe that Jacob was trying to get their brother, the sibling animosity, he was trying to get them in the right place to develop a good relationship because Jacob, Jacob's brother Esau wanted to kill him too. 
And so Jacob and Esau were representation. Esau wanted to kill Jacob so badly. And now the exact same thing is happening to his son where his brothers are wanting to kill him. And Jacob thought, maybe I can get them together by separating them for a while. I'll have Joseph go and go and visit them and see them and see how they're doing and bring a report back. But the brothers hated him so much that even from a distance, they saw him and they started to plot how they could destroy their brother's life. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to end his life. They hated him so. So, so much. And look how the story goes. Genesis 37, verse 18. But they saw him in the distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe and the ornate, colorful robe he was wearing. And they took him and threw him into the cistern. And the cistern was empty, and there was no water in it. So Joseph is a 17-year-old boy, wearing a coat of many colors, walking out to see his brothers. As we talked about last week, Joseph had a bit of an entitlement. He knew he was his dad's favorite. He'd never experienced any hardship. He grew up in a family that loved God. He grew up in an environment where he had everything he ever needed. He never really had to work. He never really had to have any experience of life that was hard. The worst thing he had was that big pimple he just can't seem to pop on his back. That was the worst thing was going on in his life. And the reality is, is that now here he comes out here, he had a little bit of entitlement and pride, and he didn't even realize it was there. We talked about this last week, about how sometimes in our lives, we don't even realize there's stuff in our lives. Everyone else sees it, but we don't see it because it's a blind spot. And Joseph walked up to them with this entitlement and this pride, not realizing as he wore this coat and walked up to them, as he walked near them, that he was about to be thrown and be left for dead in a pit. Joseph, left for dead in a pit, has no idea why, has no idea how he's going to get out. Have you ever been in that situation before in your life where you've gotten stuck and you just don't know why? You've gotten stuck in life and you, you have problems in your relationships or financial hardships or something's going wrong and you're literally thinking to yourself, how did I get here? What did I do? I serve God. I, I go to church. I'm nice to my friends and my family. How did I get in this place? I imagine Joseph probably was frustrated and he probably sat there and thought to himself, God, what is going on? I don't know what I understand. He probably shouted and then he was probably angry and then he's probably upset and then he got bitter and he got resentful and he thought, what's going on? I, why am I down here? What have I done wrong? What's going on? God, help me, brother. Reuben, please help me, Reuben. Down in the depths of this pit, he was stuck. He had nowhere to go. He felt like a failure. He felt lost. He felt alone. And he stood there thinking to himself, what am I going to do next? I want to give you three questions to ask yourself when you are in that pit and you don't know why you're there. You don't know. You're confused. You're maybe angry at God, maybe angry at your family, maybe angry at your dad, maybe angry at your spouse. And you say, we're stuck and I don't know how to get out. I want to give you three questions to ask yourself that might help you get out of the pit. The first question I want to ask you today, and of course my phone's going to do what it normally does, and so Brittany might have to step in and be my, my savior here. The first one here today, the question that you can ask yourself, there's three questions. There you go, thank you. How did I get here? You have to begin to ask yourself some questions. Is there something in my life that I may have done that has gotten me into this pit? How did 
I get here? In Psalms 139, 23, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Search me, know me, and test me. One thing I want to point out to you today is that there, in order for you to first get out of the pit of your life, you have to start doing some self-reflection. You have to do some soul searching. You need to start asking some questions. What part did you play to get yourself into this mess? This isn't a condemning thought. This isn't a thought to make you feel like you're a failure or you're a loser or you're not worth it. This is simply a question to ask yourself a self-reflecting, soul-searching question. What could I have done to get into this position that I am in right now. You know, Joseph could have easily not taken responsibility for this. He could have looked around and said, you know what? It's not my fault I'm in the pit. It was, I did nothing to do with the fact that I wear my dad's coat everywhere I go to prove to everybody that I'm his favorite. It has nothing to do with how I presented myself. It has nothing to do with how I talk to people. It has nothing to do with how I walk and how I talk and how I act. It has nothing to do with me. It's my brother's fault. It has nothing to do with me. It's my dad's fault. It has nothing to do with me. It's that person's fault. It's that person's fault. It's that pastor's fault. It's that situation's fault. It's my upbringing. It's this thing. It has nothing to do with me. When you're in a pit, there's two things you can do. You can blame shift or you can begin to do some soul searching and ask yourself the question, what part did I play in this? Actually, we see in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned and they fell short of God's glory, they took of the fruit. Very quickly, look at the scripture in Genesis 3, verse 11. He said, he said to him, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, well, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. The Lord turned to the woman and said, well, what have you done? Well, the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. The first thing that the, the first humans did when they got themselves in a pit was want to blame someone else for their problem. This is one of the biggest things that will keep you stuck in your life is when you point your finger at everybody else, at your dad, at that pastor, at that person, at that problem, at that issue, and you point your finger out all the time. I know it. Believe me, I do it on a regular basis because I've been in a lot of pits in my life. I always find that it was that person's fault and, and they misinterpreted me there and I said this and they thought that and oh, that person was being mean and this person doesn't like me and this thing and I never stop until actually just recently the Lord's been speaking to me. Ryan, put the finger here and I realize, oh, I had a part to play in getting myself into the pit. How did they see him from afar off? The word afar there, like it refers to the idea of like a long distance. How did they see Joseph from afar off? It was that stinking darn coat. Why did he have to wear the coat? His brothers hated the coat. His brothers hated that coat more than anything on the planet. And Joseph was told on assignment to go be with his brothers. And the first thing he does is go to his closet and get that stupid coat. Listen to me now. His father gave him this colorful coat. He favored him. Guess what? Your father has given you a colorful coat and favored you. His father saw him as his favorite and loved him and wanted to bless him. Guess what? Your father loves you and wants to bless you. But you have to hear me today. Just like Joseph lost his gift, you can lose yours too. 
Now, can you lose your salvation? Can you, can you uh, in, in the season that you're in, in the pit, could this cause you to not, not be a Christian and a follower of God? That's up to you. But Jesus will always love you and he will always give his life for you. But you have to understand something about God's gifts in your life. God's gifts can be put on hold. And as long as you continue to put the finger out and don't start putting the finger here, your life will be on hold. I know this because I've learned this in my own life, that the gifts that God's given me and the, the blessings that God's given me, I have the ability to have that taken from me until I come back into a place where I recognize that this is a gift from God. It has nothing to do with me. And I have to understand that I always play a part in the journey of my life. We believe that we have a free will. We have a decision-making power. And when we make decisions in our life that maybe aren't the right ones, it happens. Sometimes that can lead us into a pit. And the first thing we should do is turn around and ask ourselves, what have I done to get here? Last week, we talked about three things. First thing was motivation, the right reason. Second thing was humility, the right perspective. The third thing was identity, the right source. Maybe you're here today and maybe you're, maybe you're dealing with area of pride like Joseph did to wear that coat. Or maybe it's your, 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 uh, maybe it's your, your motivation. It's kind of about you and not about God. Maybe it's your identity, your source, and your identity is in that fulfillment of that future, not in Jesus Christ right now. If one of those things might be the case, you might need to stop today and ask yourself this very basic question. What did I do to get into this mess? Once you begin to acknowledge that, the grace of Jesus Christ comes and begins to give you wisdom and understanding and clarity and love and power, and you begin to understand that by his grace and by his strength, he can get you out of the stuck place you are in. The second question that we ask today is what message are you receiving about the pit? What message are you receiving about the pit? Let's read the scripture in Genesis 37. Thank you, Brittany, you're doing great. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of those cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then we'll see what comes of his dreams. And when Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe and the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him in, and they threw him in the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Verse 31. Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate colorful robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It's my son's robe. Some ferocious animals devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourn for his son for days. So first you got to do some soul searching and ask yourself some hard questions. Then you have to get the right perspective on your pit. There's only two perspectives in this journey. There's God's perspective and there's the devil's perspective. There's only two perspectives in the area of stuckness in your life. It's either God's perspective or it's Satan's perspective. There are two perspectives and you must decide which perspective you are going to embrace. Here's Joseph in the pit, alone. He's there all by himself. And meanwhile, in the background, there is this narrative going on. So what's happening above ground is right now, half the brothers are wanting to kill him and destroy him and make lies about him. There's one brother named Reuben whose heart is to save Joseph. 
What you don't realize is that in your pit right now, God is at work figuring out the details how to get you out of this stuck place. But sometimes we accept the the lies and the fabrications of the enemy that he's going to kill us. He's going to destroy us. We're not going to make it. We won't get out of this. You are surely not good enough. You are surely not great enough. There's nothing you can offer. Meanwhile, over here, Jesus is working. The Holy Spirit is actively at work in your situation saying, come on, I'm going to save you. I'm going to position you. I'm going to help you. Which narrative, which message will you receive about your pit? There's only two. I understand something about the devil. The devil condemns you. That's what he does. He condemns you. Conviction and condemnation are different. This is on the screen. Conviction is specific and is of God. Condemnation is general and of the devil. So a difference would be conviction is, hey, you did this or you made this decision or, hey, this attitude you had, this specific attitude you had caused you to get into this pit. Condemnation is you're just a bad person. You're never going to measure up and you'll never fulfill God's dream for your life. Specific uh, conviction from God is about a specific thing in your life. Condemnation is about just a whole general thought. I call it the kitchen sink in our marriage. Whenever Steph throws the kitchen sink at me or I throw it at her, it's like, you, know, you always do this. That's called a kitchen sink. Don't throw it at me. Satan throws the kitchen sink at you. Oh, you're just a terrible person. You'll never amount to anything. You'll never, you'll never, you'll never make anything of your life. God does not condemn, but the devil sure wants to. Look at the scripture in John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What Satan wants to do is Satan wants to fabricate lies about you. Let's read it in Genesis uh, 37, 31 again. Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate, colorful robe back to their father and said, we found this, examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Surely he's been torn up in pieces by an animal. Guys, was Joseph torn up into pieces by an animal? No. But that's what they said happened. Because he were fabricating lies about Joseph. Fabricated evidence against Joseph. That's what the devil wants to do to you. He wants to fabricate lies and evidence in your mind to get you to think that what he's saying is true when in reality it's not. The worst part about this is that they did not interpret this message to their father. They brought a bloody torn robe to their father and they gave it to him and all they said was, hey, is this your son's? His interpretation... His message, his perspective was, oh my gosh, my son has been murdered. He accepted the lie and accepted that lie for like 35 years, 27 years or something like that, whatever the math is. (laughs) 27 years of his life, he believed that his son had been torn up by an animal. 27 years of his life, he was in grief and sadness and pain and hardship. 27 years of his life, the brothers watched his father weep bitterly at night and they didn't say a word. Jacob accepted the lie of fabrication. You cannot accept the lies about your pit. God wants to get you out of the season. You're not a bad person. You may have made a decision to get you there. God may have allowed this season, but listen to me today. God wants to rescue you just like Reuben wanted to rescue Joseph. Reuben is a type of Christ in this picture. 
Reuben was the firstborn. Colossians says that Jesus was the firstborn. And Jesus in this story, the, the story of Reuben in this story, is that Jesus wants to rescue you from this pit. You know, the lies of the devil are really unique. He comes to you and says this in your marriage. Hey, you know what? You married someone who probably wasn't really compatible for you. You know, I, you, you, know you should maybe consider... I want you to know that God never gives you signs or favor or blesses you to divorce anyone. The enemy wants to come and say, oh, you know what? You know, you didn't really marry a good person. They're not that great. Their values don't match up. But you know who does match up? That girl at the gym you've been seeing every day. Now, that, that secretary at that job, now she totally gets you. She, her, you know what? Why don't you just go be with her instead? Your kids will figure it out. Don't worry about them. Why don't you just go leave, leave her and go be with her? That's a lie of the devil. The lie of the devil wants to come and say to you, man, you know what? That sin isn't really that bad. You know, I know that, I know that Ryan says that this is, and the Bible says it is, and this person says it is, but really, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Just kind of let it go. It won't destroy your life. That's just not true. You just keep on doing what you're doing. That's a lie of the devil. The devil wants to come and tell you, man, you know the areas you're struggling with? You know that you're the only one. Did you know that you're the only one who has those thoughts? Did you know that you're the only one who's made bad decisions? Did you know you're the only one who made a bad investment and you made it because you were being ruthless? Did you know that you're the only one? He wants to isolate you to get you by yourself. Those are lies of the devil. And I'm here today to expose the lie and let you know that if you're in a stuck place in your life right now, guess what? Jesus wants to get you out. His desire is to get you out. His desire is to get you out of this stuck season. His desire is to get you out of the pit. His desire is to get you out. But you have to be willing to ask some tough questions. Lord, what part did I play? How can I make some adjustments in my own life? You're not being punished. This season will pass. God's in control. The devil tells you there's no way out. The devil tells you you'll be here forever. But God wants to rescue you. God wants to redeem you. God wants you to fulfill that dream. Do you think that, don't you think Joseph stood in that dream and looked around that cistern and looked around and thought, how in the heck am I going to see that dream fulfilled in this pit? How am I going to get my way and claw my way out of this one? Guess what? You've got an advocate. His name is the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ stands at the top of the pit and like Reuben and says, hey, Joseph, don't you worry. I'm going to come back and get you out of this pit. But I just need you to spend some time down there and figure out what got you there in the first place. Lastly here this morning, it's ver uh, number three. About our stuck seasons. What is the purpose of the pit? What's the point of the pit? The point of the pit. Point of the pit. Say that. Point of the pit. I just think it's kind of point of the pit. I want to give you three things about the point of the pit, the purpose of the pit. The first point is this. The pit is for your benefit. The pit is for your benefit. It's for your benefit. It's for your benefit. God does not hate you. God does not, not love you. God is not punishing you like, a, like an angry father. The pit is for you fell into that pit from decisions you made or attitudes you had or sins you have. Listen, it's okay. We're all in the room can say, yeah, me too. I did it as well. You are not alone in that journey of falling into a pit. But guess what? The pit is now being conformed to the purposes of God for your life. There's a benefit for the pit. There's a benefit for getting stuck. Every time you get stuck, our first thing we want to do is we want to blame. We don't want to look at our own lives. You should recognize, oh my gosh, I'm stuck. God's about to do something. I'm stuck. 
There's a benefit coming. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. There's joy coming in the morning. There's hope on the horizon. Uh, There's something great coming. I'm stuck. I'm in a pit. I have nowhere to go. I have nothing to do. God must be up to something good. Read the scripture together in Hebrews chapter 12. So don't feel sorry for yourselves. Or have you forgotten how good parents treat children and that God regards you as his children? My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline, but don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that, that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. Look at this. Dear children, this trouble you're in isn't punishment. It's training. It's the normal experience of children. The next slide, please. Only irresponsible parents leave their children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? We respect our own parents for training and not spoiling us. So why not embrace God's training so we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them. But God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best. At the time, discipline is not much fun. It always feels like it's going against the grain. Next last slide here. Later, of course, it pays off handsomely. For it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. God's using this for your benefit. One of the reasons you get into a pit, I get into a pit, is because you start doing things in your own strength. You've got the gifts, you've got the talent, you've got the capacity, you've got the charisma, you've got the know-how, you've got the grit. You're a hard worker. You can get her done. The problem is, is that that's not how God wants you to do it. He wants to use that grit, but he wants to use the grit in relationship with his spirit. Look at the scripture in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is not your strength, but it is God who is effectively at work in you, both to will and to work. That is strengthening, energizing, and creating in you the longing and the ability to fulfill your purpose for his good pleasure. It's not your strength. It's God's strength working in you. It's not your strength to do his purpose. It's God's strength to fulfill that dream. It's not you. It's God. When you get stuck, most likely, the reason you're stuck is because you've forgotten that this is a life led by God, not led by Ryan or led by Stephanie or led by Joel, especially Joel. Just kidding. This is not your life to lead. And you get stuck because you got yourself in the driver's seat. You're going to say, Jesus, take the wheel. I don't even know the song. I think that's how it goes. Is that wrong? Close? All right. Jesus, Jesus. I don't even try. (laughs) The second thought about the pit, the purpose of the pit, is the pit is to get us back on track. Joseph would never have gotten to the palace if he never would have stumbled into the pit. God uses that pit, the place of stuckness, to get you back on track. Don't you think for the first few hours, Joseph was ticked at his brothers? Don't you think that the next few hours, he began to realize that maybe there was something going on? Maybe there was, there's a reason I played in this. And then, don't you think he started asking God, God, get me out of here. God, it's been like 10 hours. It's really dry down here. It's pretty deep. God, I need your help. He started crying out to God, asking God, saying, God, okay, I've recognized. I've kind of gone on this journey on my own. Now, God, I'm calling out to you. I'm crying out to you. Get me back on track. Look at the scripture in Psalms 94, 19. 
If God hadn't been there for me, I never would have made it. The minute I said, I'm slipping, I'm falling, your love, God, took hold and held me fast. When I was upset beside myself, you calmed me down and cheered me up. Look at this one, Psalms 34, verse 17. Is anyone crying for help? God is listening, ready to rescue you. If your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut, he'll help catch your breath. Disciples so often get themselves into trouble. Still, God is there every time. He's your bodyguard, shielding every bone. Not even a finger gets broken. The pit gets you back on track. So stop complaining about your pit. Stop complaining about your stuck seasons. Stop complaining about it because God wants to not only do it for your benefit, but he's using it to get you back on track to fulfill the dream that God has given you in your life. A great example of this is Jonah. You all know the story. Jonah was asked to go and preach to Nineveh. Do you know why Jonah didn't want to preach to Nineveh? Because the Ninevites had completely massacred Jonah's entire uh, heritage, inheritance, and life. They were so disgusting, the Ninevites, that after they killed someone, they would take their flesh from their bodies and they would dry them out and hang them on the wall as a way for them to say this was an accomplishment, like killing a, a wild animal. They put their whole walls were human skin of Jonah's family. And God said, I want you to go to Jonah and preach the gospel. And Jonah said, uh-uh, I ain't doing that. Jonah ran. He got on a boat and a big storm came in and he realized this storm is because of me. He said to him, guys, I know why there's a big storm and we're all gonna die. It's because of me. And they said, well, let's throw Jonah overboard. They threw Jonah overboard. And what happened, you know the story, you've heard it in Sunday school since you were a young kid, you've watched it on TV or whatever it is. A big whale came and ate Jonah up. And he was in that whale for three days and three nights. And Jonah, after three days, realized, huh, maybe God's using this whale to get me back on track. Maybe God's will for my life is much more fulfilling and there'll be incredible life I'll be able to lead. There's so much more that God has for me if I would just recognize that ah, I need to realize that I got myself in this place and now this fish, this pit, this hardship, this challenge in my marriage, this challenge in my finances, this difficulty in my understanding, this cloud of confusion in my life, all these things that are going on. I just feel like, man, maybe God is trying to get me to go another direction. Look what Jonah said. Jonah 2, 1 and 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, I'm in distress, and I called to the Lord, and he answered me, and from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and guess what? He listened to my cry. Look at verse 6 on the next slide. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, and the earth beneath barred me in forever, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Lastly here, before we go back into worship, the third purpose for the pit is to make you more like Jesus. You may be wondering here today, why am I in this pit? Why am I stuck? Why am I in this situation? Why am I here? I want you to know something, that you are not alone. You are, many others are in this pit, and guess what? Jesus had to go through the same pit himself. Do you know that Joseph is a type of Christ? Joseph is a type of Christ. They stripped him of his robe. They stripped the robe from Jesus. Joseph was betrayed by Judah. Jesus was betrayed by Judas, which is the Hebrew root word for Judah. J Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver, which amounted out to about 30, 30 pieces of silver of profit after they, they made the transaction. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. 
Joseph was thrown into a pit. Jesus was thrown into a pit. The difference is Jesus didn't deserve it. He went through the same thing you went through. The Bible teaches us that every single experience you've had in this life, Jesus went through it as well. And every time you're in a pit, do not despise it because this pit is making you more like your Savior. It's making you more like Jesus. It's making you more like your Father. It's making you more loving and more gracious and more compassionate. It's making you more uh, have more empathy and more desire and more love and more focus. It's making you more like your Savior, which is the whole purpose of being a follower of God in the first place is to be like Him. As we end our time here today, why don't you stand with me? I want to read this last verse, and then we're going to worship. And then we're going to have communion together. Look at this verse in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. The, the dream was fulfilled. And when you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Jesus went through the same thing. And today, if you're in a pit, would you close your eyes for a minute? If you're in a pit today, you're stuck. You feel like you're stuck. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe it's just in your journey of life. You just don't know what God wants next for you. Maybe you're just in a season where you've just come to a standstill in your walk with God. Listen, today, I want you to know something, that God wants to rescue you from this pit. There's a reason you feel this way. There's a reason you're in this season. There's a reason. There's a purpose. There's a destiny. God is doing this for your benefit, and he wants to get you back on track and be more like him. Today, God, I pray that as we end our time in worship, Holy Spirit, that you would come. And you would give fresh faith and fresh hope and fresh joy for those in the room who are feeling stuck. That they would know that God, Reuben, Jesus, is standing at the top of the pit today saying, hey, son, daughter, I'm going to get you out of this mess. I'm going to get you through this difficult season of your marriage. I'm going to get you through the season where you don't like your job and you don't know what's next. I'm going to get you through the season where you feel dry and dark and hurting. I'm going to get you through. I want to rescue you. Lord, we love you today. And as we worship, I pray that you'd be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.